My name is Theo Finnegan and welcome to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities. I'm here with Dr. Kelly Black, who on Friday, February 12th from 10 to 11.30 will give a talk entitled The Rooms Where It Happened, Practicing Public History at Victoria's House Museum, uh, which will be streamed online via Zoom. Uh, Dr. Black has a PhD in history from uh, Carleton, I think, Carleton University, and is an instructor in the Department of History at VIU, as well as Executive Director at Point Ellis House Museum and Gardens, and President of the Friends of the BC Archive. Welcome, Kelly. Thanks for joining me. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing, doing as well as we're all doing, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, could you tell me a little bit about your scholarly interests? So what sort of area of history do you generally work in? What's, what was your PhD on, those kind of things? Absolutely. Well, uh, my PhD was uh, actually not in history. It was in Canadian studies, as you mentioned, uh, with a specialization in political economy. And when I did my, my PhD topic, it was about settler colonialism on southern Vancouver Island. And specifically, settler belonging. So the idea of settlers creating belonging uh, to land and how that happens over time and how it's complicated um, by feeling and by economy. Mm. So specifically, I looked at Southern Vancouver Island, which is where I was born and raised, um, and the Cowichan Valley and um, Greater Victoria area. And um, talked a bit about how the forest industry and parks and roads have played a role in my life, as well as the ENN land grant, and how that shaped how I understand my life on Indigenous territories and within mm. Indigenous territories. So that was history, that was geography, that was affect theory, um, political economy, so quite interdisciplinary. When I teach BC history at VIU, so I teach Canadian and BC history at VIU, um, I, I focus a lot on drawing the, the, the present into the past, uh, the past into the present, I should say. I think the blurb for your talk, there's a, there's a line about something like tea and roses, right? And, and this idea of sort of, which I found really evocative, actually, the idea, I suppose that's the idea of sort of heritage history or, or a kind of... Um, deracinated or, or sort of whitewashed history, I, I suppose, right? Would that be sort of yeah. accurate? As opposed to like the idea of, yeah, the, the history is being, history is being part of the present, not, not as something we sort of section off and it just kind of happened a long time ago and who cares and, and so on. For sure. When, when I, when I, for, when I, so I'm a, I'm a VIU alumni. I did my, my BA at VIU in history. Mm. And when I started my master's degree, I went to Carleton to do, Canadian studies and heritage conservation. Mm. And I was really interested in the Kinsel trestle, which is this um, historic wooden railway trestle in the Cowichan Valley near Shawnigan Lake. Mm. And it was something that I had um, worked on when I was a summer student at the Cowichan Valley Museum and Archives mm. before I started my graduate studies. And I was interested in the sort of 40 year struggle to save this trestle in the community. Mm. And then, of course, so I started working on heritage conservation ideas, but then I started learning about settler colonialism and the history of dispossession and colonization in BC and Canada. And so I found myself very, I found myself confronted with the complexities and the contradictions of 
wanting to save this historic trestle, but also realizing that this historic trestle was integral to the extraction from unceded Indigenous territories. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of started me on the journey that uh, I, I carry with me today in my my teaching and scholarship and my everyday work. Mm. I was actually going to ask you what drew you to history as a sort of field, but I think you kind of answered that. Like it, it was sort of through experiences, and 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 it seems like like space is really important to you to you, like like built space and and so so history is sort of embedded in the things that surround us and and the practices we engage in, I suppose. Definitely, um, I think it's Walter Benjamin who says, you know, what we learn how to see. Mm. And there were places and spaces, you know, that are local to us mm. all over this, this island that I had come to identify with as part of what I cared about. Mm. Um, but then, you know, I'm the kind of person that always reads a plaque, even before I started my, you know, my mm. education. Mm. And um, I just... I was grappling with that and I still grapple with it as I think we all do uh, when we live in a settler colonial yeah. society. I've been, I asked, was asked this question recently uh, when I was doing a different interview mm. about what, you know, if you could point to one or two things that drew you to, to history. And in my mind, you know, it's a million little things. It's being right. interesting in my grant. And I know uh, most academics would say that, um, especially historians, you know, it's, mm. it's being drawn to the old workbench in my grandpa's yeah. basement. And yeah. it's traveling in Europe when I was 18 and reading a certain book and a thousand other things. But as you point out, um, space and place and, and places that came to have meaning to me in my life, um, I've, I've wanted to delve into them further uh, and the history of how those places came to be um, for how I came to identify with them. Now, this is a big question, but do, do you think that so you talk, you're talking about the, the grappling with the kind of this vexed legacy of, of settler history, which has things you want to preserve and protect because, you know, we learn from our past and so on. But also, it's not just a simple gesture of preservation because that, that preservation has its own erasures, right? Like it sort of erases things as it's preserved. Um, do, do you think that that grappling has become more... I don't know, come more into the public eye recently. In other words, I guess I'm sort of asking, are you hopeful for um, maybe newer generations, younger generations being more open to learning about those things? Uh, definitely. I mean, I think, yeah, and I see that in teaching right now, I'm teaching 20th century BC history. And last week we were talking about the dispossession of, of urban reserves in British Columbia. So the Songhees Reserve in mm is today what is the Inner Harbor in Victoria in 1911 and the Kitsilano Reserve in 1913 in Vancouver. Mm. And students were saying to me, I can't believe I never learned mm. this. I never knew this. I'm mm. so glad to be talking about it. Mm. And, you know, I, I grew up on Vancouver Island in the 1980s and 1990s. Uh, I never learned about residential. No. Yeah. It, I, the, long ago. My experience growing up in New Zealand, also a, a settler colonial state, um, commonwealth, you know, empire and so on. And I, I have this distinct memory of 
my last year of high school, and so this is mid-90s, um, being asked by our history teacher, who was a really interesting guy and did a lot of good work, but he said, you know, do you, there's these two units you can do. You can do 19th century New Zealand history, which is really the kind of the, the, the pressure point of sort of colonialism, or Tudor, Tudor kings, <laughs> or Tudor, Tudor royals. <laughs> Which is, you know, whatever, fine, okay, interesting. And, if, and the whole class, I remember the whole class sort of unanimous, unanimously were like, yeah, Henry VIII, kings and whatever. And I, at the time, it didn't, you know, I, I, I was of the attitude that New Zealand history was kind of boring and who cares and nothing happens here. And it strikes me that that's one way of kind of perpetuating a, a sort of exclusionary history, which is just by sort of not telling certain things. Uh, and I, and I, but I think that's changing to, to the point we're talking about where um, I think younger New Zealanders are, are more open to at least learning about some of the things that happened there, which is good. Definitely. But, at, you know, at the same time, we're seeing uh, people, you know, controversies around statues and this yeah. kind of thing where people are kind of doubling down on you know, the views that we're trying to nuance or, or add to what's kind of been omitted or erased. And that's part of my talk uh, on Friday is to, to show an example of how we're grappling with that at a historic house museum where the story is one of settler colonialism, but that's not the story that was told prior to our management of the historic site. And so in the talk, I sort of explain how over the last hundred or so years in British Columbia history and in the history of the house, some of these narratives have become entrenched and um, formed over time and how we're trying to make interventions there. But when you're dealing with things that people have come to, to believe to be true over a hundred years, it, mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time and a lot of work. But I hope that even just by showing how that happens, we can begin to think about things differently, whether it's Sir John A. MacDonald or, you know, right. the coal industry in Nanaimo or, or what have you. Calimera. It's Eliza Gardiner from the theater department at Vancouver Island University. You're listening to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities on CHLY 101.7 FM, Nanaimo. Tell me, and not to steal to, to any thunder from your talk, I, uh, what what is uh, the Point Alice Home and Garden Museum, and and maybe also what is the Friends of the BC Archive? Because I, I would I'm really curious to know about sort of just generally what those two um, 
institutions slash organizations do? So um, Point Ellis House is a historic house museum and it was uh, built in 1861-62 in Victoria. Uh, at the time, outskirts of Victoria, you know, rural Victoria really, even though today it's you would consider it right in the heart of, this, of downtown or the heart of the city, I should say. It was built for a family that, the Wallace family that lived there for a few years. But then in uh, 1867, the O'Reilly family moved in and the O'Reilly family lived there for 108 years. Uh, Peter O'Reilly, uh, the patriarch of the family was a, came during the Fraser River gold rush in 1859 and worked as a gold commissioner and a sheriff and a judge and later in life an Indian Reserve Commissioner. And talking about that is going to be key to my talk on Friday. Um, but they lived there for 108 years until 1975, them and, and their descendants. And in 1975, they sold the house to the province of British Columbia, along with 108 years worth of possessions, a collection of over 12,000 artifacts and an archive, wow. all connected to one family living in for a century. Um, and so it's also got two acres of gardens, age designated garden. Uh, but today it's in the industry. So if you visit Point Ellis House today, we've got a gravel mart on one side and a steel recycling on the other huh. and a compost facility across the street. Right. So it's this little beautiful little house museum but in the midst of this neighborhood that has changed drastically since 1862 mm. and so um, as I'll say uh, on Friday we are working to sort of tell some of those stories even though the dominant narrative for the last kind of 40 years was tea and roses as you yeah. mentioned yeah the friends of the archives um, is is a nonprofit society that tries to support the work of the BC archives so the BC archives are the provincial archives for British Columbia and they're housed at the Royal BC Museum. And so what we do is try to just promote uh, work that's done with the archival collections there. And we also, um, through grants, we, uh, we support a number of initiatives like the Terry Rexton Memorial Fund for Community Archives mm. uh, and the Indigenous Research Fund, which um, goes to support access to the archives for Indigenous peoples in British Columbia. Mm. So it's really all about awareness of, of the documentary heritage of British Columbia. Which is sort of the, the or at least one of the... I don't know, um, engines of history, right? Um, buildings, yes, but, but the document is, is, is just sort of central to how we then tell our histories, right? So really important that that's kind of preserved. And also access is a key thing there too, right? Like my, my image of archives is, is, and maybe unfairly, it's something that's kind of hard to get to maybe or sort of a little bit mysterious. Um, do you find that that's a challenge to kind of... Um, open up that image to people in the public? Yes, I mean, you know, the archives are a colonial institution. Right. And they, it's built right into the foundation that they are, you know, they are there to house a certain type of information about certain people. Mm. And uh, in the past, we're only accessible to certain people as well. Mm. Um, and so there's a lot of work to do uh, on changing that. And we've tried to, to start to do some of that work with things like the Indigenous Research Fund. Um, 
But I think, you know, there's, in the general public, there's the idea of the dusty yes. archive yes. with white gloves yeah. and, uh, you know, historians toiling away, quote, discovering things. Yes, yes. Of course, that's far, you know, historians don't discover things. Archivists and librarians do the work of uh, yeah. cataloging and, and making things uh, so you can find them. Uh, and nothing's dusty, of course, because everything's well cared for. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, um, and I, yeah. as much as the, you know, I think the work of archives is has been mysterious, and historians have kind of notoriously not done a good job of supporting uh, archivists and librarians, and 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 pointing to the work of archivists and librarians mm. to say, hey, these people preserved and described these records and now I've come in and tried to build a narrative around them, but I couldn't do that without them. And so there's um, that as well. I remember reading a book, just speaking of dust, right? There's a, there's a book by Carolyn Steedman called uh, dust, the archive of cultural history, I think. So, the, and she sort of plays around with that preconception of archives as these dusty places, but yeah, it's sort of counterintuitive, right? Like you need things to be kind of tidy in there. <laughs> And, sure. and easily accessible. Um, and in, in, in my dissertation, the, the title is called An Archive of Belonging. Uh, and what I tried to show in, the, in that is that it's not just institutional archives, but, you know, uh, the landscape is an archive of settler colonialism, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. uh, and so even me personally, I have archives, you know, uh, that I, things that I've saved or that my grandparents have saved. And so, whether we know it or not, some some of us have these personal archives yes. that that I try to draw on when when talking about my own personal connections to mm. these places. It's funny, ar archive is in the title of my dissertation too. Um, uh, my, I'm in English, so it's literary studies, but I draw a lot on um, Archive Fever by Derrida. Um, and so more of a metaphorical kind of idea of archives as, as they appear in fictional works. Um, I think it's it's been a while now. It's got something like the violence of the archive in contemporary American fiction. I think is, is what I called it. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you so you did your undergrad at VIU, um, and now you're teaching there as well. Um, COVID aside, what what's a, what's what are some change? Has it changed much um, between those two sort of sojourns between those two two attendances? Well. When I went to VIU, it was Malaspina University mm. College. It, in my very, very last semester of my year, I it, they changed it to VIU, and so I technically I graduated from VIU. Right. Um, so I don't know if it's just my memory, but it you know I think I would say things are more polished now, mm -hmm. and I, that I'm not saying that they're necessarily better. Right. <laughs> just, but there's, a, there's a sheen. <laughs> there's a sheen. There's yeah. things are, Things are branded now. Yeah, right, um, right, right. But when I look around, you know, in the class, when I'm in a classroom, the classrooms I'm teaching in, hmm. you know, they haven't changed at all. In the in the um, in the arts and humanities. Yeah. Building, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. They finally replaced the carpet. I think three or four years ago, that you know was heavily stained from even before when I was a student. So. Hmm. Some of the, you know, some of the infrastructure on campus, you know, has, has changed and has become nice. But when it comes to the arts and humanities, yeah. maybe not so much. Of course, some of the professors I took courses with are still teaching. Most of them, in fact, some have retired. Mm -hmm. um, but 
it is it is a fun experience to be teaching courses that I took to be yeah. standing in a classroom that I was in previously. Yeah, that must be kind of uncanny and 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 sort of interesting to do. Yeah, and to tend to reflect upon, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'm a sort of relative newcomer. I, I moved here in 2016, so and started teaching the year after, so about four years. Um, but it does seem to be a place that has changed a bit, quite apart from the name as well um, mm-hmm. over the years. Um, last question for you, and then I'll, I'll let you go. Anything that you've got that's a must-read or a must-binge-watch? Uh, I like to sort of finish with a question like that. What are you What are you reading that's cool, or what are you watching that's cool? Mm. Anything you're, you're managing to kind of, amidst your busy life, uh, actually have some downtime as well? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think... Uh, I just finished um, uh, last month uh, a book called Mudflat Dreaming, and it is about um, life uh, in a, on a, on a, a mudflat sort of commune or community in North Vancouver in the 1970s. But it's about also about more than that. It's about housing and alternative lifestyles and the way different communities on the Lower Mainland sort of struggled with housing and um, building community in the 1970s in Vancouver. It's a, a she's a film studies uh, uh, professor mm. who, who lived uh, from, from the United States, but who lived in uh, Vancouver and Surrey at this time. Mm. And it's a, uh, it's a really fascinating uh, book because she takes two films that are made documentary films that are made at that time and uses them to kind of, uh, along with her own story, to kind of um, draw some parallel pictures about what life was like at the time. And that one of the films is called Mudflat uh, Living. Mm. And you can actually watch that for free on the National Film Board's website. Oh, it's a 28-minute documentary, and I show it in my 20th Century BC History class. So, spoiler alert for any student. <laughs> <laughs> coming up in, in yeah, a couple, yeah, yeah. couple of weeks. But um, if people are interested, you know, I would encourage, it's free to watch, so I would check that out yeah. on the NFB's website and then read the book. Uh, they go great together and it's very insightful. And it's also that 1970s history where we, it hasn't been that well studied and talked about in BC history because we tend to think it's still not that far away. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, so it, it's... It's very cool. It's a very cool book and movie. Excellent recommendation. Um, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. I really enjoyed that, and I'm looking forward to your uh, virtual talk um, on Friday. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Conversations in the Arts and Humanities. Thanks to Kelly Black for joining me in conversation. Technical production by Robin Davies. Music by Greg Bush. The Colloquium series will be back on March 12th with a presentation by Joy Googler from Creative Writing and Journalism and Stephanie Johnson from School District 68 entitled Unsettling Fiction, 
reconciling novel partnerships with traditional practices to teach Indigenous literature in the classroom. For more information, go to ah.viu.ca and click on Colloquium Series. My name's Theo Finnegan. Thanks for listening. <laughs>